Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the reInvent podcast. I can't quite believe we've reached 10 episodes already. It has gone by so quickly. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Kevin Lenton, a Cape Town-based chiropractor, about how we trap emotion and illness in the body and, most importantly, how to release it. This episode was recorded at Kevin's practice, hence all the traffic noise in the background, so please excuse any of the distractions that may come about, but the information is absolutely priceless. Please enjoy. Kevin, welcome to Reinvent's podcast mm, and thank, thank you, you for being on the show. What I want to jump right into is the subject of the interconnectedness of disease and the human body and how chiropractics really fits into that. And I think many people listening will have um, possibly not a holistic or a good understanding of what chiropractics really is. So if you can give us your version Right, so chiropractic has been around, as we know it in today's terms, since 1895. It was discovered in the United States, um, and the term chiropractic really means done by hand. So, officially, chiropractors work with their hands and traditionally work on the neuro, that's nerves, musculo, that's muscles, skeletal, that's the bones, systems. So, we are nerve, muscle and bone specialists, essentially. But we don't do, as most people know, surgery and pharmacology. And it's a natural uh, approach to managing uh, neuromusculoskeletal conditions. So our special interest is essentially the spine and the joints specifically around the spine. But chiropractors treat all joints. So it could be a hip or a knee or an ankle or a wrist, etc. Uh, what a lot of people kind of don't really understand is that they think chiropractic is just really pain management. Yeah. And most patients do come to chiropractors specifically for pain. Essentially, lower back pain primarily is probably our biggest market. Neck pain is next. And then it's all the other peripheral joints like the knee and shoulder and ankle, etc. And a lot of people will describe back pain or neck pain as I've put my neck out. That's probably what we hear you know, yes. tied many, many times a day, implying that the joint between one vertebra and another have actually jumped out of place and you come to a chiropractor and the chiropractor puts it back in place. So we're going to align you or we're going to put your joints back in place. That never happens. If that does happen, you are in big trouble. That's uh, you don't come That's to a, a chiropractor. Dislocation. That's a dislocation. Mm. So, but what does happen from life, whether it's posture, whether it's micro trauma, or even a little bit more significant trauma, like perhaps a car accident or something. Maybe it's just posture sitting at a computer too long. Maybe it's a bit of wear and tear that has accumulated over time. Typically osteoarthritis, which 100% of the population will get. That's wear and tear of the, the joints and the cartilage breaks down. So you can get wear and tear and osteoarthritis in any joint, whether it's a foot joint or a neck joint. Mm -hmm. So the body then goes into a compensation mode. And it tries to protect that area. So then we start to get reduced mobility of the joint. In chiropractic language, we call it a fixation or a locking um, of the, actually the specific joint. So what chiropractors do is we find and locate where those areas of fixation are in the spine, starting right up at the area where the skull meets the first vertebra, right down actually to the coccyx anywhere along that line and then our job is really to mobilize the joints to get them moving nice and freely 
So that's not putting things back. We don't actually realign the spine. Oftentimes patients, I just feel I need a realignment. Like you take your car and get your tires realigned. We don't actually do that, uh, but by mobilizing the joint, it allows the spine to do its own thing, in inverted commas. It knows actually where it needs to go. It has innate intelligence built into it. So I can't tell you whether patient A needs uh, one millimeter or half a millimeter or point one of a millimeter's movement in the joint. The body knows that. So we introduce um, a thrust and there are lots of different techniques. We call it in chiropractic language an adjustment that is a thrust that's introduced into a joint that is locked and sometimes you hear a click um, and people think that that's the bone going back into place but that's really just the release of nitrogen bubbles which are in the lubricating fluid, synovial fluid which is like the oil basically mm. that lubricates all joints whether it's a foot joint or a knee joint or an ankle joint or a spine joint and so that click is neither here nor there in terms of the, the, the correction that's made at the spine Sometimes you do hear it and sometimes you don't. And that, our job is really to introduce mobility into the spine. And so sometimes you will go to a chiropractor with neck pain, but they will treat your lower back as well because this whole spine is connected and what happens in the lower part of your, your back, your lower back, can affect the upper part. So we do what we call full spine work, even though the problem might be in one particular area. But the other side, apart from the pain management, is your whole body and each and every cell in your body, of which you have somewhere around 100 trillion cells, is innovated neurologically. It has to get a message from somewhere to tell it what to do. Uh, and that is communicated via the production of all sorts of hormones and enzymes. And those are neurologically mediated. Oftentimes, uh, if you cut a nerve to an area, lots of different things don't function, not just the muscle. So different organs won't function as effectively. So chiropractic can actually have an influence on visceral function, which is organ function. So some patients will even report an improvement in blood pressure or gut function or their energy level feels better because the mitochondria, the little powerhouse cells in within cells, get a, a, a boost, if you like, of energy. Now, let me just clarify that chiropractors do not treat blood pressure and they do not treat any other medical condition. However, because all those systems are innovated neurologically by nerves, there can be, a, if for want of a better word, a knock-on effect from correcting, mobilizing the spine. Mm. Patients will say, oh, my tummy seems to be working a little bit better. Mm. Uh, and we do have science to substantiate the correlation between different parts of the nervous system and different organ systems. So while we definitely do not profess to treat and certainly cure any medical condition, there sometimes is a benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the next question, is the interconnectedness of all these systems. And the problem with specialization is often, you know, we just focus on one system and exactly. forget what's what the underlying issue is. Yeah. So you went further into looking into functional medicine and got qualified in functional medicine? Yes, that's correct. So the way it actually happened is when I graduated as a chiropractor, um, we were taught at chiropractic school that the nervous system is really the primary system that needs to be addressed. And that's what chiropractic does. It's addressing really the neurological or nervous system. Uh, and that includes the central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal cord, because that is directly influenced by the joints. But also the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, which are the ones that upregulate or downregulate and relax you. So chiropractic will influence all of those nervous systems. And I pretty much thought as a naive new young chiropractor that that's really all that was necessary. It was just the adjustment. 
However, reality doesn't quite work like that. It's not quite as simple as just that. So I found that some patients um, would respond well and some would come and say, you know, I've tried everything for my constipation, let's just say, or my fatigue level. And um, somebody said they got some help from seeing a chiropractor. So they'd come and they'd hope that chiropractic would help their fatigue or their gut or their whatever. And some, believe it or not, they actually did find an improvement, but some didn't. So then I started to think, well, there must be more to it. The body's not quite that simple. Uh, and I've, I've always been a curious kind of person. So once I graduated, that wasn't the end of the learning. That's really when that's the learning only starts, yeah, as we know. Yeah. So it was research and reading. And so I became aware of um, nutrition and the biochemistry of the body. That's the important part, is that uh, all of these cells that function every single one of them needs raw material to, to work properly. It needs food of some kind. Uh, and so I started to realize that if a patient was not taking in the right kind of nutrition for them, and I also became aware of biochemical individuality, where everybody is a bit different. You can't treat one person the same regardless if the symptoms are the same. And so that's where functional medicine came in. Functional medicine is a very holistic approach and assessment tool of multiple systems in the body from your energy system to your communication system to your uh, elimination system your detoxification system your digestive system and the list goes on and on so then i started to broaden my horizons and realize that actually we need to address that as well because having a problem in one of those major systems can manifest as back pain yeah so the patient would come in with back pain but on investigation and proper clinical history taking you'd realize that actually this is not really a back pain problem. That's where it's manifesting, that's the symptom, but the cause is somewhere else. How much gut issue are you seeing? Oh my gosh, I think it's an epidemic actually, mm. um, across a multiple different streams, not only showing up as a gut problem, but mm. showing up as anxiety and showing up as depression and showing up as fatigue and showing up as... Um, you know, chronic uh, conditions, health conditions, skin, uh, issues. skin issues, exactly. Mm. So we sometimes say we talk about the gut and we're only thinking about um, the, tummy. the tummy as the such and going to the bathroom, mm. you know, at least once a day. But it's obviously way, way larger and more extensive than that. And we talk, there's lots of work now on the microbiome and the importance of the microbiome and how um, they're even linking Parkinson's disease to gut bacteria, for example. Yes. And there's studies and research to show and substantiate that. Mm. So it's a massive factor. And, it, and interestingly how it just simply comes back to not just our food, but the way the food is grown, the way it's out there, the way it is packaged and processed. And that is, totally. that is poison. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's also, it's not only you can eat, let's just assume that one could eat the perfect diet. Uh, that there was such a thing as no additives, no preservatives, fully organic and everything. That's only phase one. You've got to get that food into the cells of your body. So a piece of meat, a chicken or potato is no good to you like that. It's got to be broken down into the amino acids and the building blocks and the glucose. And then that has to be metabolized and assimilated into the body. Yeah. So now we're talking about gut function. And enzymes. So even if your diet is perfect, if there's some other problem that's manifesting, that's preventing you from assimilating the good stuff that you're taking in, that's another, that's kind of downstream stuff. So you have to be a, quite a detective to figure all of this stuff out. Yeah. Let's talk uh, just briefly vagus nerve. Mm. There's been, this is something that anybody in your field is well aware of, but yeah. it seems to be making more of a comeback. Yes. 
maybe in just the, the, the forums I read yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the vagus nerve? So the vagus nerve is one of the cranial nerves and it exits the spinal cord right up at the very top at the base of where your skull meets the first vertebra of the spine and we have 12 cranial nerves that come out and the vagus nerve is part of the parasympathetic nervous system. So we've got two essential nervous systems. One is the central nervous system, which I mentioned, and the other is the autonomic nervous system. And that autonomic nervous system is divided into two parts, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic upregulates, that's almost like your flight or fight kind of um, neurological control. And the parasympathetic downregulates. So for example, um, eating requires parasympathetic uh, activation because you need to have the energy going to the gut to help digest the food. So a simple example is eating on the run is not the best thing because while you're active, driving, working at your computer, trying to eat your lunch, your sympathetic nervous system is upregulated because you're now active and the parasympathetic is downregulated. They work uh, inversely to each other. So then you wonder why you get heartburn after sitting, eating your lunch at your computer while you're working because you're not digesting properly. Now the vagus nerve is a parasympathetic stimulant to lots of systems, not only the gut, but it's actively involved in down-regulating the, um, the sympathetic nervous system so that you can digest your food, so that you're in a more relaxed state. Rest and digest. Rest and digest. And it, that, it affects the cardiovascular system, it affects the respiratory system. So the nervous system, uh, the vagus nerve, has multiple connections to many different systems in the body. And so people are now starting to say, gosh, maybe we need to look more at this parasympathetic nervous system. Because the society that we live in these days, it's go, 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 nonstop, nonstop, from start to finish. And even after we finish, even at night, while you're theoretically supposed to be sleeping, your brain is active. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, from a chiropractic point of view, that first vertebra called the atlas vertebra, C1, the cervical spine number one, uh, that has a direct influence on the vagus nerve. So very often you can adjust the atlas vertebra, which is correct and mobilize that atlas vertebra and have gut improvement right. because the vagus nerve is directly exiting right around that area. Yes. So chiropractically, we, we like that research that yeah. uh, gives um, some credence to what we do and why we suggest that um, we get help uh, or the body will get help by chiropractic adjustment. Sure. What puts that C1 into... Um a situation where it needs adjustment is that bad posture sitting at a computer tensing your jaw all of the above okay it's called life <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, and again biochemical individuality so definitely the physical things do play a significant role obviously as you say posture and sitting awkwardly and i'm always amazed every day in practice where in spite of all the knowledge we have about ergonomics and people do have very fancy chairs but they don't use them properly so they're sitting badly, the computer's still off at an angle, it's not at the right height. Uh, and so that then precipitates, you know, contraction and asymmetry. The spine and the muscular system likes both sides being nice and equal. As soon as you turn your head to one side, you've changed the biomechanics of the muscular connections. And that pulls eventually on certain areas. And then there's the whole question of fascial contraction. So fascia is the dense connective tissue that supports your body, actually. It goes around everything. And there's lots of work now suggesting that 
even trauma can be locked into the fascial system, physical trauma and emotional trauma. Yes. So chiropractors are now becoming more aware of that as well as the research kind of uh, surfaces. And so we do quite a lot of fascial work as well to release the fascia. Fascia release is so interesting and so excruciatingly painful. Yeah. But you do feel an enormous benefit. Yeah. Just the heat generated out of moving yeah. that, that, that fascia. Yeah. And it was so interesting that it hasn't really been considered until very recently. Yeah. What was your first introduction to, to fascia release? Well, we've known about it for, for years and years, but the research hasn't even be, hasn't been there. But now they're starting to do this very high uh, electron microscopy, so you can look at fascia and see the actual neurological connections through the fascia. Right. And it doesn't look like the fascia has um, any arterial supply, but in fact, at a high resolution, you can see... Um, little micro vessels going through there okay. so it's very complex so, so chiropractors blood supply it's yes. not just a sinew you know no. sitting there on top of the muscle no. so, so it's, you, know. Uh, you know anything will die if it doesn't have blood supply yeah you, the blood brings nutrients um whether it's oxygen and all the other things sure. so um, fascist live tissue it's uh, right. it's alive and and it works and it contracts and relaxes okay. so it must have some both neurological and uh, uh, blood supply. So what is the function of the fascia release? Well it's dense connective tissue which means that it's very strong. The muscles and often even the tendons are not strong enough to withstand what we put them through in, with our posture, with our sports, with our activities etc. So the body has this backup system called dense connective tissue. It's very strong, it's very fibrous um, and it goes around everything. It goes around arteries, it goes around muscles, and it's kind of like a cling wrap that yeah. uh, is pulled tighter and tighter and tighter around whatever you cling wrapping. And so that stuff on the inside, whether it's a muscle or whatever, it doesn't expand and contract and move as freely because the stuff is now wrapped so tight around it. So the fascial release is about stimulating the little micro-adhesions that occur between the fascia, which is very thin. You can't mm. visualize it except in some parts of the body. And the, the example I always give to my patient to try and explain it is if you see a piece of raw fillet, fillet steak, uh, on the one side of it, on the thicker side, you see that kind of shiny, fibrous stuff that they usually trim out. That's fascia. Yes. That's the kind of the real dense stuff. You can't tear it. You can't pull it apart. You have yes. to cut it. Yes. If you need to chew it, it doesn't get... Yeah, it just goes into a yicky globule of stuff that yes. you, <laughs> you don't want to swallow. Yeah, human cling wrap. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, the, the, the accumulation of crystals under that causes pain. It stops the muscles from contracting and expanding. Exactly. Yeah. optimally so you get stiffness in muscles yeah you get restricted mobility okay uh, you can get contraction imbalance. that leads to this asymmetry and imbalance okay and that pulls on the joint okay and that will cause joint restriction and fixation sure so it's kind of a knock-on effect and believe it or not what's interesting is that it sometimes starts from your feet yes i have heard of that and yeah. what i did was follow some advice and roll my feet out yes. on a foam roller the, within five minutes, the yeah. flexibility was back. Yeah. It was quite remarkable. Yeah. So patients will be quite surprised sometimes when they come to me with, let's say, headaches or something, and I start at the feet. Yes. And I start working on the feet, and they think, well, what the heck is this yeah. guy up to here? But that's what I'm doing is stimulating the mobility of the foot joints through releasing the fascia so that they can communicate properly 
via proprioception and this body's knowledge of where it is in space to create symmetry. Well, yes, and your feet are, I mean, our contact with earth and it gives totally. that message right up to the brain to, to almost what's going on in the environment. So yeah. if your feet are squashed into high heel shoes all day, yeah. you can't really connect your body. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, releasing your feet is critically important. Yeah. Walking on a beach, if you're lucky enough. Yes. Here in yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that's also great. So a, a patient would come to you for... for um, chiropractic release, fascia release, what do you tell them to go away and do at home? And what is your um, perception on the importance of exercise? Yeah, so I think it's critically important to answer your question, but it's the type of exercise mm. that's actually even more important. We've talked about biochemical individuality, and it's important that each patient is assessed individually because we know genetically some patients are more prone to tendinopathy. That means tendon damage or tendon strain from overuse or doing too much. And that doesn't have to be exercising, you know, three hours a day, every day of the week. For that particular person, half an hour of quite high intensity exercise might not be indicated. So genetically, some people are prone to injury more and they're prone to slower healing than others. So it's about trying to assess that. So when a patient comes to me with, you know, if my shoulder's sore and my hip's sore and my uh, foot's also sore and my back's sore, I'm not so worried about the individual things, but saying, why are there so many areas? And then we start looking and prescribing the right kind of thing. And sometimes it's not active exercise, it's more passive exercise, like yoga, for example, uh, and some controlled Pilates, for example, that can work much better. Other people that don't have that potential, they can go at you know five days a week, fairly high intensity interval training, and be quite happy on that process. So uh, there's no one answer to that. That it's this is my only prescription. Mm. I do believe in resistance training. Mm. Um, I think that quite often one of the big problems when we're looking at the body holistically is that. As we get older, we know about senescence. That's where the, there's the aging process. The muscles get weaker, regardless of your exercise and what you do. So the muscles just lose tone. And obviously, a lot of what we do is sedentary these days. We're sitting too long. We're driving too much. We're sitting watching TV. Um, and even just low-intensity walking, for example, doesn't strengthen the muscle. Yeah. So I like uh, tone. I like body composition. I talk a lot about fat to lean ratio. So you want to build the lean because that's where the energy is in the muscle. That's where the mitochondria, these little powerhouse cells that produce the energy, are congregated. So the more muscle you have, the better you can produce energy. Yes. And of course, energy drives everything. Metabolically active tissue. Correct. Right. That's, uh, we have that in the brain. We have it in the heart. We have it in all the muscles, of course. Everything that's working. So keeping your brain active is critical to proper function of other systems in your body. Yeah. So to answer your question about exercise, it is important, but it's the right kind of exercise and a balance between active and passive exercise. Uh, a lot of people are, are running at a high sympathetic overload. That's this what we call sympathetic dominance. Yeah. So they're running on stress chemicals all day long because of deadlines, because of family, kids, whatever it might be. And so you need to down-regulate that sympathetic drive to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And sometimes meditation is very good for that. Passive exercise like yoga and light um, resistance training sometimes. So it's slower. 
Yeah. More is not always better. Working up a huge sweat and, yeah. you know, wringing your shirt out afterwards with all the perspiration is not necessarily the only way to do it. Yeah, Yeah. I always think of of exercises discharging the static electricity we accumulate during the day. Great example. Yeah, because it really feels like that, that you've built up an accumulation of mental clutter and physical clutter from sitting in a constricted position. Your body wants to almost discharge it. And whether it's light or um, Heavy exercise doesn't really matter, whatever makes you happy and doesn't cause uh, distress, obviously. Um, But I can't personally uh, say enough about resistance training. You know, time under pressure is what keeps the body young and keeps the brain young. And it doesn't mean you have to have a gym contract either. Exactly. This can be compound exercises done correctly in your bedroom. Yes. You know, there's never a real barrier to entry when it comes to, to that kind of thing. And the beauty is now that there's no excuse for not knowing because if you just yes. go on YouTube or any you know, of the media platforms, there's lots of stuff about how to do um, exercise bands, these yeah. elasticized bands, as you say, at home. Um, you don't have to go anywhere. And so it's, um, there's no excuse really. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot. You know, just t- it's, yeah. it's 10 minutes a day actually Absolutely. before you shower. That's yeah. not an inconvenience. Sure. What do you know about rebounding? This is something that I've seen over and over in the practice. People love rebounding. Yeah. I've seen one rebounding serious a- accident. Oh. So what is your take? Do you think it's hype or fad or does it do what it claims to do? No, look, I think it does a lot of things. It's active aerobic type exercise and aerobics is good. Or whatever kind that is, whether it's rebounding, skipping, or an aerobic class, because that stimulates your heart rate, and your heart rate helps to circulate your your blood. Sure. The more your the quicker your heart's going, the more your blood is pumping around, and the blood is just a, a vehicle to transport stuff, whether it's vitamins and minerals and these hormones and enzymes to the different parts of your body. So the more sedentary you are and not doing any of those things, uh, the less circulation you have. And so that's good. And then, of course, if you do jumping on a hard surface, you're traumatizing different parts of your joints. They're taking strain. And depending on on how osteoarthritic you are or your predisposition, that can aggravate things and give you back pain. So the rebounder is a—it's like a little trampoline. And it's much easier on the joints. So cycling and rebounding kind of fit in almost to the similar kind of thing. The rebounding though is very good, especially for women for osteoporosis, because the bone likes that sensation that there's pressure and um, builds bone tissue. Yeah, the compression of those, so that helps to signal mm. to the body to absorb calcium wow. to strengthen the bone. Mm. So rebounding is a great form of exercise, and you can do all sorts of things, not just jumping up and down. There's a whole range of actual exercises yeah. that you can do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm a great believer in rebounding. Whatever for sure. it takes to, yeah. to get you moving. Yeah. As far as lymph drainage is concerned, that's something that is, is claimed to be assisted with the rebounding. But from a chiropractic's point of view, where is the, the, uh, the lymph system connected to, say, what you do with the spine? Look, any time you lay hands on the body in any way, you are stimulating multiple systems of which the lymphatic system is one. So if you do any kind of soft tissue work, so massage type work, whether it's trigger points or whether it's uh, foam rolling or whether it's uh, an actual massage, you're activating not only the lymphatic system, but definitely the um, circulatory system as well, so the vessel. So 
while chiropractors don't do lymph drainage, perhaps there are some that will do it in their practice as, as an adjunct, but that's not part of our training that we actively are trying to circulate the lymph. But just general chiropractic, remember when I talked about that joint and um, when we correct or adjust the joint, we are creating mobility. Now, exiting from that in that opening where the nerve comes out right close to the joint is not only a nerve, but there's a vein, an artery, and a lymph channel. Right. So chiropractic adjustment of the spine will activate lymph circulation. Facility. But we have lymph all over the body, you know, lymph channels and stuff. So um, you can often just mobilize the lymph with massage, for example, and rebounding, for example. And so it's not, a, as I said, direct sure. therapy that chiropractors will necessarily offer. Um, as a routine, but I think some of what we do will activate the lymph. Yeah. Do you have a bunch of patients that take what you say and run with it and just come back and blow your mind? Yes, fortunately we do. Yes. You know, um, patient compliance is a, is a problem. Uh, I wish I could say that all my patients just listened to everything that I said yes. and went and came back and got fantastic results, but you now there's always the 80-10-10 rule, you know. 80% are going to take most of what you say and will hopefully implement at least a certain percentage of it and get the benefit. 10% won't do a thing yeah. at all, just whatever reason doesn't fit into their lifestyle. And some will do a little bit. They'll dip a toe in. They'll dip a toe in and, and hope so. Mm -hmm. um, but fortunately, chiropractic generally, especially with the musculoskeletal and, and neuromusculoskeletal, we get great results. There are definitely supporting studies and research, double-blind control studies, that do indicate that chiropractic treatment is beneficial and one of the top modalities in the management of you know, neuromusculoskeletal conditions and more musculoskeletal. Neuro is a different thing altogether. One has to be a little bit careful if there's proper neurological uh, compromise or damage um, it's not something you want to mess around with because that can cause big problems later on if it's not managed properly. So that's why we train for six years. Yes. The actual chiropractic adjustment is quite a simple thing to do, but to know when not to or what the other implications are and the knock-on effect of neurology, that's what takes six years to study and sure. to understand the body, you know, those nervous systems that I was talking about and the muscular system. It's critical to understand that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think anyway. No, absolutely. You know, it's always the knock-on effect. I mean, we take a panado not realizing the knock-on effect on the liver. Yes. We're not trained to, or the average person doesn't realize this. Yeah. Which is why we go to doctors and specialists and hopefully people who can tell us, if you take that with this, you're going to get sick or yeah. you're going to die. So understanding the bigger ramifications in the context of that person's life is crucial, yeah. which is why you need to be the right physician or practitioner therapist. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Has your patient profile changed over the last, say, 10 years? Are you seeing more cases of sports injury or more children? Was it pretty much where it always was? Yeah, with me, I'm a, what I would call maybe a general chiropractor. Um, there are chiropractors that specialize in sports injuries. There are some that specialize in pediatrics okay. and some that see a, an older population generally, if that's the environment that they live in. I'm pretty much a general chiropractor, so I'll see everything from young kiddies, babies even, right through to geriatrics, older folk, and everything in between. 
I don't treat a lot of um, elite athletes uh, as such, but a lot of uh, weekend warriors mm -hmm. that don't do much during the week and then on the weekend they get on their bike or you know go for a run and then they injure themselves yeah. on a on a Monday and they come limping in. So I have a very general practice and it covers a, and with my interest in functional medicine, uh, I have patients that come not only for back pain or neck pain, but for other things just because I've been doing it for 35 years now. So um, some you know patients refer patients if they get a result or feel that you've helped them in some way, they'll refer for that particular type of um, management. So where do you see your practice going? In the next couple of years, what's what's pinging um, your curiosity? Where to from here? Well, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I'd like to think that the general um, consensus out there is that while medicine is fantastic for acute management of serious conditions um, and disease, um, the world's still getting sicker. We're seeing heart diseases on the increase, many of the cancers are on the increase, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's are on the increase, um, autoimmune diseases on the increase. So we have to ask ourselves, why is that in spite of all this medical knowledge that we have, and medicine is fantastic, I mean they can do all sorts of wonderful scans and you can look inside the body virtually with this computerized um, CT scanning and reconstruction, that you can't believe what you can see inside. So in spite of all of that and all the fancy blood tests, we're getting sicker. So you have to then, you know, equate that to lifestyle. Uh, and unfortunately, our lifestyle is getting worse, I think. Um, yes. You know, there's a, a lot of people are invested in, in sugar, big companies. They spend a lot of money advertising sugar in, in different forms, you know, whether it's energy drinks or whatever it might be. And I do think that that's contributing to the obesity epidemic that we're seeing in younger and younger people. Um, and the fast food industry, etc., etc. So, and we, because we're so busy, oftentimes you know it's not easy to sit and prepare a whole meal when you've got two kids and a family, and you're working all day, both mom and dad. So, unfortunately, I think that is one of the big contributory factors, and certainly there's research to support that. Yeah. So, I'd like to think that people are starting to think, gee, I need to really try and get to the cause and adjust my lifestyle. And because I've been doing this for so long, I'm hoping that um, I can be help with education, like this wonderful work you're doing, Thank you. um, to share the information yes. out there and, and let people get the knowledge that, and you know, you can do a lot of it yourself. A lot of it is not rocket science. It's so know? simple when you know how we did yeah. our, our first cooking class last weekend. And it was incredible with just a few tips and tricks. You can make life so easy yeah. um, and de-stress this whole cooking process. Yeah. So we're hoping to get more of that out there to mainstream. So I would like to see myself sort of, I've been in practice 37 years now. Yeah. So I'd love to get more into the education side and just because I've had a lot of experience generally. Yes. Um, and, and try and help people understand why they're not firing on all cylinders. I often refer to as my patients as saying, my get up and go has got up and gone, you know, <laughs> how do I get it back? And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science in many cases. Yes. And obviously we want to try and get to the patients before there's disease. Yes. Once disease has set in and pathology has set in, then it's sometimes impossible and difficult at best to reverse that. Yes. Um, but that, having said that, you can still make some changes and the body will, because it's such a clever thing, your body, it's got self-healing 
mechanisms built into it innately. Um, sometimes just tweaking the diet a little bit, leaving this out. Maybe some supplementation is important to, to fuel all of those systems that we talked about and make sure they're getting all the right information. And I do believe that, uh, and certainly in my practice, uh, the third component of my practice, so we talked about the this, this structural system, that's the chiropractic, and we talked about the functional medicine, that's the biochemical, nutritional side of it. But there's the other side, which is the psycho-emotional component. And that is another whole podcast, I guess. Yes, that is everything. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that will drive all of the yes. other things. So if you are operating under a high stress profile, whether it's just driving two hours a day uh, or you know, a stressful job or a relationship or whatever it might be, that is going to upregulate certain of those chemicals we were talking about. And that's going to have a knock-on effect to every system in your body. Mm. So I think um, talk therapy is important and, and understanding the connection with the the mind and the body. Mm. For a lot of people, the, the connection between stress and physical physical pain is still very surreal. They don't understand how physical it is and it's, yeah. it's measurable. And keeping a handle on that stress and doing something constructive about it, and especially teenagers. Yeah. These kids have the most ridiculous work hours and homework schedules and yeah. sports commitments. They don't get time to sleep, let Absolutely. alone be kids. And then we wonder why there's a breakdown in relationship with them. Sure. It's, it's all, that is not rocket science either. Absolutely. Something's definitely wrong with the way we're doing life. Yeah. It's making us sick. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about that. And, you know, what we're starting to see now with the, the pain specialists that are investigating pain more is that there's this thing called the central sensitization syndrome. So pain is actually perceived in the brain. It's not perceived at your toe. The limb. Wow, that yeah. is interesting. So, um, and we're talking about chronic pain here mm. now, not acute pain. Yes. Where, and Before you burn your finger on no. the stove. We're talking about pain that's been going on for in excess of three months okay. and sometimes even longer. It gets locked into this central, which is the brain, the pain-sensitive area in the brain. Mm. And so even though you might not have actual pain at the periphery that's out somewhere distal, um, the brain is still, still telling you that you've got pain. So it's still signaling the pain. Still signaling the pain. So those patients don't require as much chiropractic or physio or anything else. They require mindfulness techniques. They require understanding the connection to their pain and the central component to it. So there's a lot of work being done now in the importance of just talking patients through things like journaling, things like meditation, Things like just down-regulating, uh, because some people will just know straight away, as soon as they have a stressful event, their boss walks into the door, they get pain in some way. Mm. And th that's the central area that suddenly got triggered by a stimulus, mm. whatever it might be, mm. and that went to their, their coping mechanism, mm. uh, and it manifests as pain. There are doctors who tell patients to take pain medication before the pain starts. That just baffles my brain completely yeah. because of the damage that it implies and almost that is saying just disconnect from your body don't even listen yeah. just take this pill yeah. it is possibly the worst advice i can think that any physician doctor healer can give somebody yeah. but it's out there yeah absolutely have you come across people who are so dependent on their pain medication that almost feel like they cannot let it go Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a complex thing. Pain is very complex. And certainly some people have a vested interest in their pain because they 
people feel sorry for them and True. so they get some feedback um, from having pain and that is again a central component that's centrally mediated yeah. you won't find that'll be ongoing for a long time they'll have that sort of thing yeah. so just trying to kill the symptom that's a bit like putting something over the red light in your car when it when it comes on and not worrying about it and just hoping that it'll go away because you've now covered it up but dealing with the actual problem and I guess, you know, f for physicians like that, they don't understand. They haven't come across this kind of research. So they don't understand that what's actually happening in spite of how qualified they are. If you've never read about this, there's nothing like, you know, not knowing that you don't know. Yet the long-term knock-on effects of ibuprofen or paracetamol, that they know. Yes. But don't want to go down yeah. that road. Yeah. They don't have anything else. Um, you know, as as they, that lovely little toolbox. saying says, if, you know... The only thing you have in your toolbox is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail, you know. So it's exactly right. So, um, yeah, yeah. But it's it's becoming more sort of knowledge out there. That the research is coming more prevalent. So people are starting to spread the word. It's a bit like chiropractic for many years, and in, not for many years. To this day, people still don't quite understand what chiropractic is. They think you're going to, as you've mentioned, get twisted up into a pretzel and, you know, your spine is going to get clicked mm. and cracked and possibly even broken. Mm. Um, and it's just ignorance, really. And I say that uh, with the best intention, that people don't know that we don't do that. And, yes. you know, medicine has many more serious side effects and statistics than chiropractic ever has. Yeah, you know, with, yeah that's um, true. So chiropractic is safe and it's it's natural, and um, chiropractic itself will never cause a problem. But chiropractors need to be careful. They need to also, you know, do. take into sure. account certain things, and mm -hmm. that's why we train. But um, just blanketing everyone uh, as you know a bad chiropractor, for example, is uh, because somebody might have had sure. you know, a bad experience. Um, that's unfair, really. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. It's nonsense. All right. So thank you. Our, our time is bombed off with us. I'm this has sure. been a fascinating conversation. I'm going to put all of your contact details into the show notes. So if anybody in Cape Town is looking for some help for a wide range of, of, of issues and they're not winning, I'm going to suggest that they come and see you, make an appointment, just get your take on, on things for at least a more balanced whole person uh, diagnosis. Sure. And let's see where we go with that. And I'm more than happy to chat to patients just on a, to give them the information. Yeah. Then they can make a decision. You know? Yeah, I think and it's important that relationship we build with people yeah. so that they can ask those questions and feel confident that yeah. they're on the right path. I think for, in, certainly in my practice, but I'm assuming that in yours, we are kind of last resort to people yeah. once they've tried everything else. Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to be that way. Yes. There are much quicker ways to get well than sure. having to go down a very expensive medicinal path if you don't need it. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Thank for you, your Nikki. Time. Thank it's you for inviting me. You. It's been lovely chatting. Thank you so much. This episode has been sponsored by Jackson's Whole Food Market. If you would like to win a hamper full of delicious, healthy products, please go to the link in the show notes, which can be found at reinventhealth.co.za forward slash podcast notes. Include your name and loyalty card number and stand a chance to win.